I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. A whole giant piece of the Old Testament story or the Hebrew story are these covenants. We're going to get into Abram or Abraham's story today, Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And this is one of the the big giant promise moments is this moment where God and Abraham make a covenant. Is a covenant synonymous with promise? I think so, except that I think there's more at stake. Okay. Or at least I don't know if I'm just putting that on it. It just feels more sacred. It feels like there's something a sacred at stake. promise. Yeah. Okay. And I think promises could be one way, maybe. Mm, like I promise too, but yeah. a covenant is we. A covenant, I think, is by design supposed to be both sides have a stake in the in the covenant and both sides are committing to something. And I don't know that we have a lot of parallels to a covenant uh, in our world. Let's we'll back up just a little bit because our, our first couple episodes we've been dealing with these sort of giant. We talked about them as like myths, not in a sense of not being true, but in a sense of they were super meaningful stories, right? That were before people had paper books or whatever. They got to us because people kept telling them to explain their own existence, right? And that, so Adam and Eve and the creation story existed in this whole world of storytelling, even before anybody wrote it down. Same thing with Noah and with the flood, um, that it just kept getting passed along because it was meaningful to people. As we get into Abraham and Sarah, I, I don't know if you noticed, but we're skipping over, there are these long sections about people having babies. Yes. <laughs> There's all this begatting. Yes. Yeah. He married her who had a son named Blah who married yeah. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the population of the world mm -hmm. is happening, right? And so we start to get into more record keeping. I think when you get into Abraham's story, you're really getting into like a longer narrative, more details, more players. There's higher stakes. You're starting to learn more. There's more references to the geography, um, to the politics, to the people groups. And so there's just more people. And there, so there's more to the story. And we're starting to get into, I think, just a, maybe a more critical record of the human story. Uh, not that it doesn't still have that mythic power, but we're getting into where they really want to like put a stake in time. Mm -hmm. This happened. These people yeah. were there. Right. <laughs> and so Abraham and Sarah, their story is important for that reason, but also because of this covenant. So uh, I was taught this thing that Genesis 12 is like the key to the whole Hebrew scriptures, basically. Okay. That, that between Abraham and God, there's this covenant and there's several covenants along the way. You could say that with uh, Adam and Eve, God has a covenant, basically be fruitful and multiply and do all these things and don't eat this thing and, and it'll go well for you. Right. Um, and then they kind of break their side of the covenant. Uh, so with Abraham, God has this covenant and promises these three things. 
uh, land, uh, posterity, like you're going to have kids who are going to have kids and you're going to fill the world with kids who look like your kids. And then a special relationship with God that I'll bless who you bless idea. And so the whole rest of the story is whether or not people are going to keep their side of the covenant and whether or not God is going to keep God's side of the covenant. And so that chase for land, the, the inheritance, like all that begatting is the fulfillment of the promises, like the more and more ancestors and children. And then the special relationship with God is always at stake in their back and forth of humans and God. So this Abraham story, big giant deal. Okay. It matters. It's the future. Yeah. And you, when you start to think about it that way, like it does help all these wild stories have this thread of humans trying to keep their side of a covenant and God deciding whether to keep God's side of the covenant. So I thought it would be good for us to just talk about if we do have any equivalent, right? Like, have we made, like, can you think of anything that you've signed or committed to <laughs> yes. or have you exchanged any blood vows with anybody that would be similar to this kind of covenant? I remember in second grade, we had somebody come into our classroom and teach us about safety. Okay. And at the end, she said, hey, you, we, you can get entered into this raffle for the super, super cool electric scooter. Okay. But you have to sign a covenant <laughs> that says that you will never, ever ride a bike or a scooter without a helmet okay. in order to be entered into this raffle. And I remember just sitting there looking at the piece of paper, knowing that I was at times not going to wear a helmet. Right. Because that mattered to me at that time. <laughs> Even though it's did, obviously so did reckless. You sign it? And I signed it and okay. it was, it made my stomach turn. And you, vi have you violated it since then? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I violated it like that week. And I just, I remember being, it was such a moral yeah. um, challenge for me, but I wanted the, the cool scooter and I didn't win it. But I mean, there's a piece to that, right? The, uh, the officialness, the signing of the paper. Right. Right. It makes you consider it. Mm -hmm. And in a way, when you look at the Hebrew scriptures, there's all these, acts of covenant. So the sacrifice system, all these, like the moments when they kill an animal has like a renewal of that covenant. Um, so that's not a small thing, right? Right. It's it's associating the action with through. the promise. Yeah. Right. It feels the extra step really makes you. Yeah. It, yeah. It puts it in front of your face for sure. And that's a part of like, how do you sign a paper with God? Well, you go through these steps of worship where God reminds you of God's faithfulness and you remind yourself of the promise you made to God. And um, then we get into like covenants between each other. And it's the same thing. Like sometimes they might clink a glass together. Like there's moments in these stories where they might toast something or raise a glass. There's one in, I can't remember where the story is. Maybe we'll come across it, but where they basically like, instead of shaking hands, they like, shake thighs. Oh no. I know it's a little weird, <laughs> but there's a moment where the, like it's an act of trust. So like basically let a person put their hand on your upper leg as mm -hmm. a sign of trust, I guess. <laughs> Imagine so. Like, I think that's, you know, it's like the third date covenant, I think, <laughs> but, um, it, it is, it's like too, like in a battle that they might do that, uh, mm -hmm. to, to agree. Right. It, I mean, it does terms. show its vulnerability. Yeah. Right. So, and, but it's the official moment, right? It's the, are you going to sign the thing? Is that, is that your safety covenant? Is that your, do you have any other examples of covenants? Another example of a covenant. Did you have to sign a covenant when you were like a track athlete that you were going to do these right. 10 I, things I or anything? I think so. I think I had to sign a covenant said, saying I was going to abide by the rules. I had to sign a covenant for, 
High Point, the university in general, there was this yeah. giant paper the size of this room. It was very <laughs> symbolic and yeah. kind of goofy, but saying I that I wouldn't lie or cheat and things like that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of relationships like sort of like the covenant relationship where, you know, you get a job, you have to sign all this paperwork and you commit to a certain there are certain uh, things you just agree to. Right. Whether right. it's drug testing or behavior you know, goals you want to hit or things you're going to be honest about. There is kind of a covenant right? Um, to that. Have you ever, what about a pinky promise? Have you ever made or broken a pinky promise? Ooh, I don't know if I, I have definitely made pinky promises. I can't remember <laughs> what the stakes were and I hope I abided by all. Yeah. I, that's on my head because I just recently broke like, a pinky promise. <laughs> no, I didn't break it yet. I've kept it so far, but a friend and I were just kind of talking through like staying friends through changes and all that. And it was like, that was our, that was like our, our way of sort of saying, no, we mean this. And you pinky promise. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it, cause you, you go back to your, your childhood self that understood friendship sometimes better than your adult self. Mm -hmm. But it is that moment of saying, no, we, there's something about saying it and sealing it with something that makes you think maybe I will hold on to this a little bit tighter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's where we start to get this, this sacrificial system is both of them trying to take it seriously. I think we have it. It's also like we make covenants with banks, mm -hmm. you know, we buy a house or mm -hmm. we take out a loan. Uh, Say we will not withdraw this money for 10 years. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And I, I think probably the closest we have that's actually supposed to be treated like a covenant would be marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that in its sort of best form, that's the idea is that you're committing to this relationship. You're committing to these vows. Um, yeah. In front of witnesses and yeah, the whole shebang. And the stakes are pretty big, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just dating someone and you haven't, you haven't signed any papers yet. You know? Right. Um, and so I think that's the closest we have, but I'd say that just to say it is a giant piece of the Old Testament story is God saying, this is what I'll do in exchange for you kind of staying in this relationship. Um, and so Abe and Sarah, this they're ushering us into the first really epic story of covenant. And we get a lot of insight into their character, right? Because we have such a long, I mean, it's several chapters of Genesis. Uh, and so we learn a whole lot about who they are as people. Um, what did it, Can you think of anything that you thought of right off the bat if we were to to start to figure out what they'd have for breakfast. When you think of Abraham, what do you think of? I know they were old. <laughs> I know. I think we do think of them as so old. Older yeah. than anticipated. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts there? I mean, when you just go through their, their list of their story, it starts with them being called out of what's safe. Because they have to journey away from home, correct? Right. Yeah. So to make this land promise happen... To find the land that God has promised them, they have to leave their comfort. And I remember uh, Frederick Buechner, I can't remember if it's that Peculiar Treasures book, but he basically equates them leaving. I think it's Ur is the town that it says they're a part of. He, be, he basically equates Ur with like the suburbs. Mm. Like imagine that Abraham had a two-car garage. Uh-huh. And so when God calls him out to say there's land somewhere, there's some other life for you, that imagine it. It's God calling a person away from your two car garage, away from the garden that you've spent 10 years getting just how you wanted, you know, and however old they are, they're settled right. in their first home. And God is saying, I have something else for you. 
So I think of them as just having to, to follow and trust. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Sarah has to do that in her own way too. And then as the story goes on, they just have to keep making these acts of trust. Right. Even when it doesn't feel like it makes any sense. So this promise that they're going to have kids is in jeopardy because they are, they do get to an old age. Right. Because the promise is made and then time passes. Right. Yeah. We, there's all these pages that go by with, with Sarah not um, being pregnant. And so, and that's a delicate thing in real life. <laughs> and it's a delicate thing in this story. There are all these, um, there's several stories that include infertility and their understanding of it was that it was all God's choice if they had a child or not. Right. So they're experiencing not just what we would think of as like a, a frustrating health situation, but they're experiencing that has a theological mystery. Why would God promise to give us as many kids as there are stars in the sky? And here we are pushing 70, 80 years old. And it's not true. Like they're doing the math going, that doesn't seem like this is going to work out. And so, you know, we've talked about how like a, a part of their story is this complicated chapter where they, uh, Sarah encourages Abraham to have a child with Hagar instead. And Hagar is her, her maid servant. Is that yeah. Right? And it's really, this is not like an easy thing or this is not nearly as funny as most of our breakfast conversations because mm -mm. this is tangled and delicate. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think this is what a lot of people think of when they, have you watched the handmaid's tale? Have you ever, I read the book, but I never yeah. saw the series. I think people kind of picture these stories. It is more, I think it's more, I think it's different than that. Um, that it's such an ancient world. We can't understand what it took, like in a place where women couldn't just go get a job, you would almost be forced into servitude if you were young and not married or if your family didn't have the means to help you get married. So uh, there's a chance that Hagar ends up in this, this servitude just out of desperation. Right. So it might not have been intentional oppression, but has somebody who maybe owned land or had the means or had enough cows or <laughs> goats or chickens or whatever, you would have been expected to take servants in and kind of make them a part of your household. Now, um, I've been reading, there's a book by Dr. Uh, Will Gaffney. She has a book called Womanist Midrash that's all about like some of the sexual politics of the Bible, but also the class politics of the Bible that mm -hmm. we might not always understand. So she breaks down all the different words for servant. So there's several different Hebrew words that they would have used for different kinds of servants. So some servants would have been expected to do like Hagar and bear the children for your, you know, your family. Um, some servants wouldn't have been, it would have been more like a housekeeping, you know, field hand sort of gig, but Hagar, we're going to talk about her next episode. So we won't talk about that, the whole thing today, but I think that for our purposes this week, that really just gets into that. They didn't, they didn't trust all the time that they right. sort of they said, had the plan B. Yeah. Let's do this the way we think it should be done. Um, and they even do that. You know, we talked about their other kind of tangled story is that has their traveling to stay safe Sometimes they tell people that uh, Sarah is Abraham's sister. 
which is also a sort of violent storyline um, because there's one instance where it seems like Sarah is taken into the house and forced to sleep with these men who are threatening them. And that the reason for the lie about him being her brother is to keep Abraham safe. Cause if they saw him as a threat, as a husband, they might've killed him or, you know, so there's several instances where the promises of God are at, at risk in the story mm-hmm. and where Abraham and Sarah have to sort out like how to move through the world. Right. When it doesn't trust seem in a world like of violence yeah. and, and they make complicated decisions. Uh, and even when they do have that child, right in their old age, there's this great moment where they learn they're pregnant and they laugh about it because it seems so absurd to them. Mm-hmm. Um, then God immediately calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in what is also like a traumatic, complicated, difficult story. Absolutely. My so, goodness. Uh, it becomes even harder to then make that twist we're kind of making, which is what do they, what do people who've been through this kind of an epic story have for breakfast? <laughs> you know, cause their, their character is all over this. Right, right. You know, it's not like the gospels where we'd get like one or two lines about the person. So then we get to based off of that characteristic. Yeah. That's highlighted. It's extra complicated. Mm-hmm. So any thoughts like, and you've grown up with their story a little bit, right? And you've probably grown up seeing father Abraham. Right. Had many sons, many (laughs) sons had father Abraham, whatever the latter means. (laughs) Exactly. So we all at least know a little bit of their highlight reel. So what do you eat for breakfast when you're traveling and getting beat around and you're, yeah. Yeah. You've had to give up your home. Mm -hmm. Um, You're waiting for the promises of God to come through. You feel the stakes that an entire nation rests on whether or not a pregnancy test comes back positive. I mean, maybe what they could carry with them could be their, their sense of safety or familiarity from home. Maybe yeah. a home favorite that could be with them so they can start their day with something that they remember. Yeah. I, I, be, I but... wonder if food was grounding mm-hmm. to them. I think we, maybe when we've talked about traveling a little bit, right. That sometimes you try to keep the routine, even if you're traveling. Right. Um, I actually just heard this about, do you know who George Burns is? <laughs> He's like, well, he's he's passed now. But mm. it, speaking of older folks, I think he lived into his well into his 90s, maybe 100. OK, uh, but he was a comedian and he was on the road for most of his life. But uh, I don't know why I just heard the story just the other day. It was on a somebody on a podcast was talking about George Burns. But um, he even though he traveled for like 90 percent of his year, he would still have the same thing for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And he would still go through the same like daily routine. And that's what kept him. It was kind of grounding. Yeah. So spread. I wonder if they did have like a favorite jelly that they always put on their toast wherever they were. And they sought it out along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I do. Maybe it's because of the, the father Abraham story. But I think I do think of Abraham as kind of a dad figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think of my dad who did the same job for 50 years. Which is not, it's weird because I think Abraham and Sarah's, it's this mix of faithfulness, but adventure. Yes. So I think we think of the faithfulness part first. So I do think of him as like my dad who woke up and had coffee and put it in the same mug every day for 50 years. But they also had this wild 
wild adventure, right? Where the whole, their landscape was constantly changing. Right. Um, I know. I don't think I have given them enough credit in my past because I definitely do think of them as like the, the ridiculousness of them going, oh, we're too old to have children. Yeah. And then <laughs> they wait and then have faith and then they do. But the yeah. story is so much more complicated than that, yeah. obviously. There's all these years where they don't know that that's how it's going to end. Right. And I think that's what's interesting when you do read it has a story, which we've tried to, we talked about that those first couple episodes, is not reading it the way we always have, which is to get our lesson out of it right away. Mm -hmm. But how did it feel to them to be in the story? Probably really aggravating that they probably needed some grounding habits to keep taking the next steps, even when they didn't know where those steps were going to land them. Mm -hmm. That we read it and we know that, eventually the promised land does belong to Abraham's family. Um, and we know that those promises are still kind of at stake in, in the world is what is the Jewish relationship to their land and to God. Um, and so we know those things are still at stake, but I think they don't even, they're just waking up on a Tuesday trying to figure out how does, how are we faithful this day? Mm -hmm. Um, even as they're like seeing cities burn around them and the world's kind of falling apart. So it's maybe it's perfect time for us to like revisit some of these narratives um, that were unsteady. What was grounding to them? Um, I'm just realizing that grounding has double meaning because if you have a coffee habit, it's, mm, it's grounding. grounding. Is that the best that? thing or the worst thing? Yeah. I, you <laughs> know that thing? I can't tell mm -hmm. if what I'm saying is the best thing I've ever said or the worst thing. So Listeners, you can decide. It's calling a coffee habit grounding, best thing, <laughs> or the worst thing. Cast in your votes. Yeah. Uh, we will pick this story up a little bit because we are going to consider Hagar uh, a little more. I feel like Abraham and Sarah have always gotten the spotlight, and we want to put it on Hagar a little bit uh, next week on The Breakfast Translation. The rock and the story.